Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, you have a handout if you want to use it. If you don't, that's okay too. Um, kind of sets forth what uh, the leaders of the church are talking about emphasizing through the year. What, what, what I'd like to do, Tim and I are going to tag team, so I'll speak a little bit and then tag team it off to him. But I, I'd like to look at a very familiar verse with you because the theme we're, we're running with this year is, is disciple, be one, make one. Um, which is one of the reasons we're doing the morning worship service series through Luke Acts. And um, I'm also delighted one of the Sunday school classes is actually picking up on the theme of discipleship, which is really, really also exciting. And so some really neat things going on there. So let, let, me, let me just read from your sheet, if you have it here in front of you. Understanding the theme as a church, our ultimate goal is to love and glorify the God who has loved us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, in conjunction with His Word, as we love those around us. That's a mouthful, isn't it? So we're just going to, we're simplifying that by saying, disciple, be one, make one. Tim, back in January, preached a message from Matthew 16 on, on being a disciple. And so I'm not going to, it's there. You could just write Tim's name beside that. I'm not going to go into that in great detail. Only to say this. Uh, without rehashing his whole sermon, only to say this. What it's all about, when we use the expression, be one, we could mean one of two things. First of all, if you're with us, and you've never come to Jesus Christ, you've never trusted him as Lord and Savior, you've never become a child of God, what that means is you need to become a forgiven follower of Jesus. Do you see? And so our prayer is that you would actually at some point, we'd love it today, this year, this month, become a Christ follower, become a forgiven follower of Jesus Christ. You accept what he's done for you on the cross of Calvary. It's applied to you. You are forgiven. Okay? So that's part of what it means. We want to be one. But when we say be one, we don't just mean to become a forgiven follower of Christ. We mean that you are walking along the path of following Christ. Make sense? And what's interesting is when you read Matthew 16, Matthew 16, or I'm sorry, when you read Mark's account, Mark 8, Mark's account is all about people becoming a Christ follower for the first time. Matthew is all about those who have already become forgiven Christ followers taking the next step and so our prayer this year is that you will be one either come to Christ or walk with Christ now to Matthew chapter 28 familiar text you can turn over there the second part of the theme not only be one but make one um, I don't know if you remember back in I think it was 1982 I was actually in college, and um, there was this really interesting story of Larry Walters. You guys remember the name Larry Walters? He was, uh, I think he was in his 30s, he was 30 to 35 years of age, but he was a truck driver living in California. Now, if you're in California, almost anything can happen, as we know. And he, he always wanted to kind of be a pilot, uh, and, and, and so he came up with this really strange idea he got 45 
helium-filled weather balloons. Remember this? And he attached it to a lawn chair. And his idea was maybe he would hover, I don't know, 100, 200 feet up in the air. And, and he took a BB gun with him. And the idea is he would hover for a period of time. So he could kind of have this experience. He always wanted to be a pilot. He would hover for an extended period of time around. And then when he got tired and he needed to come down, he would start shooting some of those helium balloons and just, just slowly come down. It was a pretty great idea at one level. Except when they let him go, he went almost 16,000 feet into the air. Right into the landing pattern, one of the landing patterns for the airport in the area. And apparently, you know, a couple pilots were actually calling this in. Can you imagine what that must have sounded like? We got a guy up here on a lawn chair. I mean, I don't know what that would have been like, but that must have been a sight to behold, right? So anyway, eventually, I think what happened is he did actually start shooting some of the balloons. And he came down. I think he ended up in, in wires, but there was helicopters and all this stuff, you know. Well, they brought him down, and of course, he was interviewed, and some insightful reporter said, were you scared? Yes, I was scared. And then he asked him, he said, why did you do it? And Walter said, I just couldn't sit there. Now, as strange as that is, here's a guy with a dream, and he says, I just couldn't sit there. I just had to do something. And I would argue, when you come to Matthew 28, and you work through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You just can't sit there. You can't. So, you've become a forgiven follower of Christ and you're seeking to walk with Him. What does He want you to do? He tells us here in Matthew 28 what He says. Familiar text. Verse 18. We start in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful or some hesitated. I mean, this was a lot to take in. Like, wow, Jesus. You know, you can see it. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what he says? He talks to this band who have trusted him, and with all their problems, he says, you know what I want you to be about? I want you to make disciples. Now, notice how he explains make disciples in the text. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And what he means is this. At the end of the day, when he talks about baptizing, the responsibility that you and I have for people around us that we love, which should be everybody, is we invite them to a journey with Jesus Christ, don't we? And when they accept it, and they become Christ followers too, at their baptism, they declare publicly, they go public, and they declare in that baptism, I am now a forgiven follower of Christ. And Jesus says, you go with the mission to invite people to a journey with me so some of them will come and will accept and they too will become Christ followers. Make disciples of all nations so that people 
profess the reality in their soul. See, that's what he says. And then he says this. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Now, can you do that in a moment? How long does that take? A month? A lifetime. And so you call people, you invite people to a journey with Christ. And then what you do is you ask God to use you to assist them as they walk with Christ. Teaching them. That means you have to go to seminary and stand up here like, like Doug and Tim. Is that what that means? No. no I mean, it, it, it's part of it. You can teach in a million different ways, can't you? Can you do it in a formal Sunday school setting? Of course. Can you do it across the kitchen table with your children? Absolutely. Can you do it with a friend on a phone or by Facebook or whatever? Yes, it just means you're helping people wrestle with how can I help them take the next step in their faith walk with Christ? And maybe they've taken three steps forward and they've taken two steps back and they're struggling and wrestling and you're the one that comes in to encourage them to say, come on, man, it's about Jesus. That's all they need. I'm praying for you. And that may be the act of love you show them that helps them to reorient and refocus and take that next step in their faith walk with Christ. You just can't sit there. Christ is too big. And so you invite people to a journey and then you assist them along the way. You know what, you know what folks? Brothers and sisters in Christ. If you know him, you can do all of that. The same way I do it? No. But you can do it. By, by your own strength? No. By his strength. You know what I love about this text? He doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us why to do it, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Did you notice in this passage that the command is enveloped by what we know about Jesus Christ. Did you notice that? So he starts out by giving no command. He just, he just makes a declaration. All authority is given to me in, in heaven and earth. You know what he says? Jesus is king. He's the king because he's come in obedience to the Father. He's died on the cross. He's, he's been buried. He's resurrected. He now is going to be ascended soon, and he is the exalted king of everybody else. Now, in about, what, two and a half years? We uh, will vote again for the most powerful man in the world, the president of the United States. Or woman, I guess, right? We'll... we'll, we'll We'll, we'll uh, you know, vote on that position. And so we can vote someone in and we can vote them out. We have, we have incredible power in this country. You know, in this text, Jesus is never getting voted out. He's at the top. He's king for good because of what he's done. And Jesus says, all authority is mine. Why would you invite people to a journey? Why would you nurture people along that journey? Because there's only one king. Every other king in history has sent out his subjects to die for him. But this king has gone out to die for his subjects. 
He is a king like no other. And so when, have you ever talked to somebody about Jesus Christ and they say, hey, I've had people say, Doug, that's, that's kind of private. You have your religion, I have mine, and that's all that matters. And I want to say at the end of the day, you know what? There is only one king. You will bow to him now, or you will bow to him when you appear before his throne one day. Now is the day. So what, one of the things that compels us to disciple is he is over us as the exalted king of kings and lord of lords who's coming back one day. And I have to tell people, now, we don't quite say it like this, but here's the honest truth, folks. I mean, I, you know, in, in evangelism, we don't do this, but, but it's true. Jesus will either change you or destroy you one day. Now, you say, that's harsh, but he's king. He's done everything he can, and he reaches out and says, Come, submit to me, become a forgiven follower of mine because of what I've done. And some people will say, no, 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 no. And they, they can, they can. But they will face the consequences of that. No, no, he's king over us. Do you know what I love about this text? He's not only the king who is over us. He's the comforter who walks with us. Notice what it says here at the end teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, you know, in common vernacular, we might say, hey, yo, right? But it doesn't quite say it like that. But it's just, it's, it's emphasis there, right? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to think about this. Suppose you're one of the 11 with Christ at this point. You've been with him physically for three and a half years. You just, you literally have followed him. And now he's leaving like, how does that make you feel? Doesn't it make you feel unsettled? And Jesus says, I want you to know something. Between the time I leave you and the end of the age when I come back, at every point along the way, I am with you. How about when I get discouraged? How about when I've witnessed to somebody? How about when I've tried to encourage a Christian and it, the whole thing is just like backfired? I'm with you. How, how, how about when I, when I feel like such a failure in my faith walk with you and I'm supposed to be helping other people? I, I'm with you. So wherever you go, whatever you do, he does not only stand over us as the king, we must do this, but he walks beside us as the comforter saying, you can do this. Isn't that great, folks? He does not lay a task before us that is impossible, humanly impossible, but not impossible because of him so for the year we want to encourage you to be one and to make one we're not in, in this, asking you to try to save the world we can't save anybody i'm not even asking you to help the world just asking you to reach out and help one and then after that person maybe another one too okay fair enough just do it one at a time Put a face on the text. To help in that process, you can see there in your notes. We want to reinforce this theme throughout the church and, and, and all that means throughout the church infrastructure. When you come here to worship, we, we, we think the worship time is like really, 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 really important. Because it's an opportunity for us to praise the God who has saved us. 
and respond to his word which he has given us. Pretty simple. And we would encourage you to be involved with others. If, if you can, we think the Sunday school hour is a great opportunity to be taught and trained. And we would encourage you, whether it's in one of the present small groups that we have, there's a variety, there's men's groups, women's groups, there's a whole bunch. Or, or maybe you start your own group with two or three people. That's great too. And let us know how we can help you with it. But that you get involved with people. You rub shoulders where you can share your heart. You can help them. They can help you. You hear God's, God's word. You sing praise to him. You learn. You be trained. If you're struggling, you get counseling. And you walk with Christ. And you, by God's grace, you take somebody with you. That's what we'd like to do this year. Turn it over to Tim. Okay, real quick, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you go there, that's the other text we want to focus our attention on this morning. Now, Ephesians 4. Let me just read a couple of verses for you. Uh, <clears throat> verses 9 through 11 talk about God giving to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, so that's the... The fivefold ministry that God gives to the church for her encouragement and building up so that you and I can become what God wants us to be. Okay, that's his strategy for building us up. Now, what I want you to notice is this. He says he does this to, now focus on these words, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. That's an awesome statement about church life. God gifts the church with people whose job is to raise up through equipping ministries people that will stand up and begin to serve each other until we all come to the fullness of the measure of Christ. Until everyone in your church could be mistaken for the personal representation or presence of Jesus. That's what God wants the church to do. So becoming a disciple is trusting Jesus. Growing as a disciple is starting to look like him in every avenue of our lives. And the aim of the church, God's purpose for the church that Jesus Christ is committed to building, is that you and I would assume personal responsibility for what? God wants to do in the lives of those around you and in your life. The thing you notice as you read through it is there is a commitment to work in you and there's a, per, a, a commitment to work in the midst of you on that broader picture of what it is to be the body of Christ. The church in America wrestles with a subtle temptation. And the subtle temptation in the church in America is to be spectators, to watch politely the work of others, to applaud politely, but not get involved most people in America choose a church based on what they want or need. There are some people in this church who assessed what was needed here and chose to come. Wasn't that proud? No, that would be called biblical thinking. Because if I look at the church and I attend the church for what I get out of it personally, and if I don't like it, I leave. 
Or if I don't get my needs met, then I complain. Okay, and that's the attitude that many people in the body of Christ in America have. We are very consumer-oriented and prone to spectate and criticize. Because that's what spectators do. I mean, I'm from Philadelphia. I know how this routine works. Okay, if the Eagles are doing poorly, they are junk. And as a Philadelphian, we let them know. Okay? Unfortunately, that's the way many people in the church function. Uh, takers. And it is not good for the health of the church. Try it in your marriage and watch it fall apart. What's sad is most parents will pride themselves on being the parent that God wants them to be. But very few Christians pursue pride in being the brother or sister in Christ that God wants them to be. Which means what? We have made the family more important than what God is doing. Now, please, does he love his family? Okay, I hope I don't have to answer that question. I am vulnerable. Because of how much I love my kids. And they're leaving so I am preparing my revenge. It's called an, it's called an RV. It's a revenge vehicle. And you think about that, okay? I love my kids. But I'm going to tell you something. We fought to not be a child-centered home. It is not good for your kids. Your primary obsession should be the obsession of Jesus. And it is his bride church and when you love the church your kids will be fine they will get everything they need and I'm challenging cultural presuppositions God loves the church God has given the church leaders and teachers to build people up so they can be the parents that God wants them to be it's how it works together and it is a team effort. So I ask you this question because I'm thinking out loud this morning. This can be dangerous. But here it is, it's run through my mind for years. If other people in this church family served as much as I serve, attend as regularly as I attend, and give like I give, would we even exist? If everybody in the church was like you, in terms of commitment, in terms of giving, in terms of serving, would, any, would it even exist? That's the question that runs through my mind. Would the chapel at Warren Valley be able to pay its bills if everybody gave like Tim Hoff? And would we meet any needs if everybody in this church served like me? And would my kids give a rip about the church if they care about it as much as I do? And we say, well, that hurts. You're saying that in front of my kids. Yeah, I am. Mine are gone, so I can say anything. <laughs> I challenge you, I challenge you from the bottom of my heart to love what Jesus loves. And your kids will be better off. 
He gave gifts to the church to build the body of Christ so that you can be the parent he wants you to be and so that your kids can be the young person that God wants them to be because they will love what you love. They will love what you love because more is caught than is taught. The sad thing is in the church, we diminish the importance of individual contribution. We diminish the importance of gifts and input. And so what do most people think if they are sporadic in attendance on a regular basis? Here's what they have to think. My presence makes no difference. So if I go, fine. But if that's my mindset, I'm a taker. I come when it's convenient. I take what I can get. And I don't contribute because, because I don't think that I matter. I'm not convinced that God, by the Spirit, has gifted every person in the church to make a difference in the lives of others. So in my mind, what do I think? I think, what if everybody in our church was as concerned about their area of ministry as Don Wagner is? I would be pumped. I, wouldn't, I would quit. I wouldn't have anything to do. What if everybody in our church served and took it to heart like Kathy Happen does? And folks, think about this. Why not? Why not? Why not care that much? Jesus does. And if I don't care that much, I'm not being like him. It's relatively simple. And I love in the text, it's comprehensive. Till we all, all, become more like Christ. And the end of the text says what? What's the last couple words of the text? What does it say? As each part does its part. Folks, do you understand what that means? If you're not here, something that could and should happen will not happen. Now, I understand there are times you can't be here. I understand work situations and family situations and sickness. I understand all that stuff. My wife and I never had the leisure of choosing those options. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think that woman would have ever chosen the option not to be here. We were having babies and driving up here from Harleysville, Pennsylvania a couple times a week because she was willing to do it. No man would ever force his wife to do that without paying dearly. <laughs> she came because she wanted to. She thought it mattered. So, all right, so on this table are tools. I'm a woodworker. So, this is a lie. I don't use this one anymore, okay? Because it's too old. I have a new chisel that I use. And I have a variety of stuff up here that all contributes to building something as a carpenter. This pencil, carpenter's pencil. This is a plane because it's easy to see. All right, this is a hammer. Everybody recognizes that, right? I got a saw. Now, can I say something? This makes a very lousy saw, but it works. I can cut a piece of wood in half with this. It's not pretty. Because it wasn't made for that purpose. When I was a kid, I had a very small wood shop. I started thinking back, when did I start liking working with wood and building projects? Messing with this stuff. They didn't even have a power lock tape when I was a kid. I had one tool that, that I remember in my shop. 
It was avocado green with an orange extension cord. You know what it was? It's the only tool my dad would let me cut wood with that was powered. Anybody guess? Jigsaw. Okay? It was one of these. This is a serious jigsaw. This is a DeWalt. All right? So this is a higher level jigsaw. I had a jigsaw. That's about all I had. I had a little hammer and some glue and nails. So I went in my shop this morning. I started thinking back 41 years. Built this box. Pretty nice, huh? It's not quite a kitchen cabinet. On the bottom, I have etched here. What does this say, girls? Right there. You know why she's saying she doesn't know? Because the nine is backwards. I have issues. All right, 1972. It's like 172, right? <laughs> you guys, seriously, I had issues when I was a kid. I'm telling you. Do you think your kid needed medication? They didn't have it when I was a kid. I built this box. It has a secret compartment in it. That was what was cool. That was called the feature on this chest of drawers. Now, if you come up afterwards, you're going to say, that is ugly. Okay? It's crooked, but I had to use a lot of tools to do this. Paintbrushes and all kinds of things. I forgot I even had this till this morning. I was in there pulling out my tools, and I was like, ooh, there's something I made. Only thing I've kept. So to do this or to build something, what do you need? You need an assortment of tools, and the better assortment of tools you have, the nicer job you can do. Oh, by the way, this is precious. I didn't even leave it exposed in public. And all the men said... Ooh, an 18-volt rigid cordless drill with a guide light, okay? This is a great tool. It's a horrible saw. It wasn't made to do that. It wasn't made to do that. Paid 200 bucks for this set of tools. It only does a couple things. You need an assortment of tools to build effectively. Now, I've gotten better at building stuff. Okay, I am, I am by no means a, a, a craftsman like Bobby Beresny or Don Wagner or Dave Rader. I am, I can build stuff, okay? But there are people, I know, I understand where I fit. I use softwood when I build because you can do something called wood welding. Okay, if you get a joint that's out of whack a little bit, you just take your hammer. Who needs sandpaper? You just bang it a little bit and it smooths right out. It looks like it measured up. What do we tend to value? If you came up here and said, boy, if I was going to have one of those tools, which one would you want? You'd all be under here, all you men, because you think that's the most valuable tool. You would be wrong. Well, it costs the most, powerful, yeah, it's rigid, but it can't do everything. You know how most churches function? They function with this. That's all they have. And they're ineffective in building the kingdom of God. I have never had someone come in my house and look at the corner cabinet in our eating area. Oh, I guess it's our breakfast nook. I've never had someone look at the corner cabinet and say, could I please see the hammer that you built that with? <laughs> Ever. Ever. 
No, you know what they say? You built that? <laughs> what they mean is they want to give credit to somebody, but they're finding it hard to believe that you get the rest. Okay? There's probably a paintbrush floating around the world somewhere that Picasso used. I haven't seen it in a museum. I've never gone to a museum of uh, primitive furniture and seen a hammer. No, what I've seen is what they've made. And folks, when God put together the church, he took an array of tools and assortment of things that sometimes people don't even understand. And he takes all those things together and he is building his church. And it is only effective when everybody understands that Laura Rader is a soul. Forget, I didn't think about this ahead of time, okay? This is dangerous, okay? Sandy, Wag Sandy Wagner is a tape measure. Okay? All different parts, some are screwdrivers, some of this, in the building of what he's doing, he has gifted people and he's given some the administrative responsibility to see that they all work together to do what he wants to do for his glory. Now, if the Saul says, you know what, I'm, I don't like being a Saul. And just doesn't function. You got problems. You're going to have a hard time breaking a piece of three-quarter inch plywood and have to build this. But that's where the church lives. With a lot of gifted people sitting on the sideline. Sometimes because they don't think their contribution matters. And if that's where you are, if that seriously is where you are, then you need to read the Word of God and understand that God has gifted each part to effectively minister to the church. His design, His plan, so that we all attain to the image of Jesus. That's His goal. So this morning I ask you to assess, what part am I in this picture, in this body of Christ that God is building? There is a great amount of variety and we tend to admire tools that are important in our thinking, but no tool can do the whole project. And the truth is this, when it's all said and done, you don't sit down and admire the tools. I've never built something that sat in my garage and just said, wow, you guys are the best. I've never done that. You take what you made and you give the gift to your daughter or to your niece, whatever it was, you give it to them and you watch for their response. And you don't say, this hammer built that. No. There's a whole lot of things that went into that. And Jesus is the master carpenter in his church. You know what it's all about? And look, do I get some satisfaction when someone looks at something I've built and they say, wow, you built that. Yeah, okay, yeah. I wrestled with a little bit of pride probably and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. Folks, listen. When Jesus is building his church, all of the glory through the design and parts gifted by him, goes to him. That's why I can't sit on the sideline. We all have an important part in what he's doing to reach the world and to build brothers and sisters in Christ. That is his plan. So what you need to do is say, okay, how has God gifted me? What are the things that I love doing? And why am I not doing them? Why is my relationship to the church casual? Why is it like the church is, is, is like a, a bus tour where the driver takes full responsibility for the all-inclusive trip to get us where we want to go and to help us have a good time? Why? Because we allow this individualism that it's about me. I get on a bus tour to have fun. 
I pay a high rate to do an all-inclusive trip so that all of my needs are met. And unfortunately, that's often how we look at the church. There's a website online called TripAdvisor. I'm looking for the one called Church Advisor. You know what TripAdvisor is? It's the place where people go to complain about how the bus driver did on the trip. It's where critics go. I'll tell you what happens. I watch it over and over and over and over. Spent 25 years in my own church. I've been here for 25 years. Tells you a little bit about age. Here's what I've noticed. People that are committed and involved don't tend to complain very much because they've taken ownership. Now, do they ever give insight and share concerns? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They give your best feedback because they're involved. Now, what I found is that spectators are critics. They're like Philadelphia Eagles fans. And often the church has a lot of spectators, therefore the church has a lot of critics. Why? Well, because sometimes you do okay and sometimes you don't. That's life. Nobody bats a thousand in the church except Jesus. So I give you the challenge this morning, along with what Doug has shared with us, make disciples. You can't make disciples without something. You can't make disciples without vital relationships. You can't. So my challenge to you is to get off the shelf of life, get off the workbench, and start the work. And when all the tools are functional, the building that is built for the glory of God will be glorious. And yes, I do sit back at times and ask myself the question, what if? What if? And I encourage you to ask the question this morning, what if everybody in the church was like me? was as devoted as I am to serving, to giving, to sharing. Can I be practical? Would it affect my arrival time on Sunday morning if I had a different perspective of what this is about? There's a question. We have a problem. We all know it. Or Bobby Bresney say to Phil, it's 1032 and where is everybody? Good question, Bobby. Okay, well, if I came saying what Matt shared with us, which I didn't say anything to Matt, that if I rush in to church last minute or late, it's going to take me a few minutes to slow down and get caught up. Why does it happen? I live a busy life. <laughs> Most of us too busy. Most of us too busy. But if you're too busy, okay, to do the things that you know God wants you to do, to get to the place on time so that you can prepare your heart. And secondly, so that you can make your contribution to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? Because it's not about you. And it's not about me. See, if it's about me, I'll get there when I want to get there. Thank you. But if it's about others, I will, I'll, I'll examine it. And say, you know what, when I'm in, the, in, in, in my workshop and I can't find a tool that someone borrowed, I is so aggravating. Why? Because I can't be effective. And folks, listen, we are a body of Christ that God is drawing together for His glory. Unique parts to do unique things. And if we were all in, what an amazing impact we would have for the glory of God in this community. 
If every person started to say, you know what, it's not all about what I get when I get there, if I like the music and I like the sermon and the way the pastor was dressed and all those sorts of things. It's not about that. It's about a group of people that give because that's what Jesus did. That's what the church is. A place where people voluntarily, not involuntarily, voluntarily give of themselves because they understand God has gifted each of us to relate to each other, to build the church for His glory until we all come into the fullness of the likeness of Christ. So when people walk in our church, they would mistake us for something very unique, the very presence of Christ. So all I'm talking about is priorities. If your kids are involved in little league sports, you know it's not good to get there late, and you probably never do. Because that won't go over well with the coach. I'm taking a real estate course. He told us the first day what happens if you get there late. Guess what? It's important. I'm not getting there late. It is important, folks. So draw away from that picture of arrival time. Nobody's judging on that. Just encouraging you to think, think, think. Okay, my presence matters. I make a difference because God has gifted me to do that and he has gifted people to help me to grow so that the body of Christ can make an impact where we live. Ever increasing for the glory of God. Commit to serving your local church. Do it in the context of vital relationships. Seek out opportunities to grow and to become the disciple that God wants you to be. And as you become that, he will increase your capacity to bless those around you. And when that happens, it will feel good because it's right. When you, when you do it as a selfish pursuit, it never feels good. And it never makes you happy. Love what Christ loves. Be a disciple. Just think around you. Be a disciple. Love what he loves. Be committed to what he's committed to. And make a difference in your sphere of influence for the glory of God. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We